Good day, everybody, and welcome to the Midwest Football Cavalcade. I'm John Dooley as we review the results of what took place in Week 7 with a look at what is going on in Week 8. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast through Spotify or also on Apple Podcasts as well. We're usually where most podcasts can be found. You can also uh, friend us on Facebook. We've got the Midwest Football Cavalcade page. Uh, that's available on Facebook, and you can also follow us on Twitter X at Dooley Football. That's D O O L E Y Football. Pull over right now and follow me. You're in your car, you're in the office. I don't care. You know you have that Twitter X account. Follow me at Dooley Football. We've also are looking at maybe creating another page on Blue Sky, but I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not fully sure. I've got too many things going on, and as the year's gone on, I've wanted to get more guests on the show, but we haven't done it yet. I'm hoping next week is the week. Uh, some people to talk about some Big Ten football, and then maybe some individuals to talk about some items going on in the MAC. We talk about the Big Ten mainly on this podcast along with Notre Dame, and we also dive into a little bit into the MAC and the Missouri Valley Football Conference just to keep you knowledgeable when you go to your parties. This is when the party season picks up. This is when all the parties begin. You're going to your Halloween party. I got a friend of mine. This uh, this dude I know has, uh, he's got a garage filled with arcade games. And it's got a bar. I mean, come on. How do you even, I mean, how do you turn that down? It's a garage. It's got like TVs and people, you can play video. It's got like Galaga and like, I mean, oh, come on. That's the place to be. That's where you go to forget about your kids. You know? I don't know. Maybe that's what I got to do. I got to get some arcade games in my garage. But uh, I saw that online. I was pretty impressed. But this is, the, this is the season, right? This is when you start drinking beers in your friend's garage. Or hot cocoa. If you're a non-alcoholic drinker like myself, you may bring yourself a warm tea to sit and gather around and talk about the the sports of the world with your friends. Nothing like it. Nothing like the fall, sitting around the fire, talking about Big Ten football. That's mainly what we're talking about here. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about, I'm going to call them the big three. I think that's where we're at right now, right? I think it's pretty safe to call them the big three. And that would be Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State. We're going to do a quick review of those three. Then we're going to move on to the rest of the Big Ten games. Uh, so we'll do the big three, we'll take a break, we'll do the other Big Ten games, and then we'll take another break. Oh, me and my breaks. And then we're going to do a little quick review of what took place in the Mac and the Missouri Valley Football Conference, and then we're going to take a peek at next week. So lots of exciting stuff coming out. I've got feelings, folks. I've got tons of feelings that I want to give to you, to share with you, to hold with you. So whatever you're doing right now, you're doing the dishes, you're driving to work, you're going from one client to another client, just spend it with me. I'm your friend. We are holding our hands in the world of football. And that's not romantic, okay? That's not romantically holding hands. We're just talking about football. I'm just here for you. I'm just here for you over these next 45 minutes to an hour. So our first game that we're going to review is Michigan and Indiana. Actually, before I get there, before your boy gets to these Big Ten games, let me talk about some of the fun things I saw in college football and around college football, because I try to do this with each episode, too. I want to talk about the things that are going on across the country. Washington, Oregon was just a fantastic game, wasn't it? What a fun game that was. And with all the talk about Caleb Williams, all, all Penix has done all year is just get the job done. And he looks really comfortable. I know he's had those injury problems. I know that's the biggest question mark that's there for him. But, man, they got a team. Washington and Oregon, two fantastic teams going toe-to-toe in a rivalry game in that beautiful Husky Stadium up in Seattle. That's got that, To me, that's a top-five venue in college football, even though I don't think any of us would consider Washington to be an all-time premier program. Maybe they're, like, second tier below those top-tier historical programs. But just an amazing venue, looking out at the water and seeing the trees of the great state of Washington. So 
big win for Washington over Oregon. Uh, also, other games that we were going through, I watched. I couldn't get to sleep. <laughs> I could not get to sleep while Colorado was blowing that game to Stanford. Really a shame for Deion Sanders and for the Colorado Buffaloes. Although I know there are many people who listen to this podcast who just absolutely despise the Colorado Buffaloes. I know you do. You hate Dion. You see him. You don't like him. You know, I, I, I think the only people more annoying than the people who love Colorado just because of Dion are the people who hate Colorado just because of Dion. I, I want it to be successful because I think it's good for college football. I think if he wins, it's a win overall for the sport. And uh, they played one of the best halves you'll ever see. And then they just didn't, they just thought the game was over. And give credit where credit is due for Stanford. And that amazing play by that wide receiver. Holy macaroni. Just one of the better games that you'll ever see from a player. Uh, but they led that game 29 to nothing at the half. 29 to nothing. And they wind up blowing it in overtime. So it's going to be very tough for them to uh, it's going to be very tough for them to make the uh, a bowl game with those six wins. Alec Ayominor, oh God, you know what, folks? This is why I prep all of the stuff that I do for this podcast, and then I say, "Hey, let's talk about this thing that I didn't prep for," and I did not prep <laughs> to say this dude's last name. Hey, hey. Ayo Manor, ooh. He caught uh, almost 300 yards of receiving. It was insane. And he had one of the greatest catches that you'll ever see. But Alec, Ayo Manor. Ayo Manor. Ayo. Ayo. Jeez, just terrible. That's awful. Isn't that bad? I've got to be better. We just have to be better as, as a group. So those were the two games that really struck me over the week. Um, as I was uh, finally feeling better after being sick uh, the previous week. So if you're wondering about my health, don't worry about it. I'm fine. Thank you for your thoughts and feelings, though. I know you care deeply about me. And would you believe that we're getting close to Halloween? I haven't been. I haven't been to the pumpkin patch. Now, what type of Midwestern man could I be? And my wife's leaving this weekend. So I can't go to the pumpkin patch by myself because if Hallmark movies have taught me anything, I'm going to go there and I'm going to see someone I used to date in high school. We're going to fall in love and I just don't want to do that to my wife. Ariel's a sweet lady. I shouldn't be meeting random women at pumpkin patches. So I'm going to wait till she's back and then we're going to go to the pumpkin patch together because I'm a committed man. I'm committed. You know who else is committed? The top three teams in the Big Ten that we're going to talk about right now. That wasn't really that good of a segue. Michigan defeated Indiana 52-7. to The game went about uh, the way that you thought that it would. The quarterback controversy, if you could even call it that, at Indiana is a mess between Soresby and Tevin. And uh, it's just really a mess right now. And the whole program is a mess. And it's really the final straw for Tom Allen. This was the first game with their new offensive coordinator, Rod Carey. And it looked like the first game for offensive coordinator, Rod Carey. But you also have to think about what Indiana is dealing with. You have to think about what they have and what they're able to utilize. And their offensive weapons like Cam Camper and Cam Camper. So it's not a lot for them to work with. They did jump out to a 7-0 lead in this game, but this was typical Michigan. And what's kind of neat to see from Michigan now is they look like a truly great team. Truly great teams go out and beat bad teams the way that good team, great teams should beat bad teams. The Wolverines are now giving up just 6.7 points per game. They are the first team, I love this stat by the way, they're the first team to give up under 10 points in each game through their first seven games since the 1981 Clemson Tigers, who, for all of you football historians, as you know, won the national title in 1981. That's right, the 81 Clemson Tigers, national champs. Michigan right there with them. And did you also know, oh, Mr. Dooley is full of stats today. You weren't ready for all these stats you're getting out the, the post-it notes. You're getting out the loose-leaf paper. You're typing stuff now. 
on a, a separate Word doc so that you can get all my great information. The top three points per game defenses in America all reside in the Big Ten. It's Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State. That's why we're calling them the Big Three because they're truly dominant. Now, the response to that from a lot of people is that's probably more of an indictment on the offense, the offenses and the bottom half of the Big 12 right now. And I'd have to say, yeah, that's 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 a pretty good indictment. And Michigan really didn't play an out-of-conference schedule. I mean, at least Ohio State played Notre Dame. And Penn State had like a bad West Virginia team. Like there these aren't the like the best out-of-conference schedules from these teams. But that being said, it's still pretty impressive to have those be be the top three. I've been thinking a lot about J.J. McCarthy and thinking about how his game could potentially translate to the NFL as well. He was 14 of 17 for 222 and three touchdowns. And you're seeing that type of line from him every game that he plays. Every game that he's out on the field, he just seems so cool, calm, and collected. Nothing seems too big for him. I think a lot of that's due to his offensive line, who's done a really good job for him this year. But it's almost like I, I, you know, we're all waiting for Ohio State to really get a good feel for what type of player he is, right? You kind of feel like you don't get a vibe until you play those top teams, if it's Ohio State or if it's Penn State. And he's proven before what he can do. I'm just not sure... You know, I'm not sure in a more wide-open NFL offense how good he would be, but shoot, he just seems to make the plays when they need to be made, and he just seems so comfortable. It's just going to be really interesting to see how that's going to translate up to the next level. Uh, The win for Michigan made 19 straight Big Ten wins, which, by the way, are the most they've had in a row since 1990 to 1992, which I'm sure involved ties because – I know if you're under the age of like 35, you're not going to believe this, but there were ties prior to 1995. I think it was 96, right? They still had ties in 95, I think. I think 96 was the first overtime year. I can't remember what the first overtime game was. That's something I need to know. I know those of you who know me or listen to the podcast are like, there's no way Dooley doesn't know that. I actually don't know. I don't know the first college overtime game. That's not okay. That's not okay. And if you're a family member listening to this, you should be disappointed in me. You should be disappointed. It's not good enough. I need to be better. I'm going to try to be better. So overtime has actually only been around for, I guess that would be 27 years. Am I losing my mind here? Yeah, 27 years. So before that, there were some ties. And I know Gary Moeller, oh, he loved ties. Gary Moeller was addicted to ties. I remember one Michigan team had three ties. They went 9-0-3. And and they, like, I went to school with some really annoying Michigan fans, so they would, like, put, like, undefeated (laughs) shirts. Rose Bowl champs with, like, the undefeated thing on there. And it was like, all right, come on. You had three ties. I think one of the, I think that was the year they tied Illinois, too. So it's like, really? Let's not get carried away here. But I love my Michigan people. I love my Michigan people. I'm not a Michigan man, but I do love my Michigan people. I'm not the same kid I was when I was so threatened as a 10-year-old. But uh, Michigan easily taking care of Indiana. Tom Allen's days at in Bloomington are numbered. It looks like they are on the way out. I think they're going to have to eat that contract, which stinks. It seemed like something that was a good lock. He was a nice personality fit, it also seemed like, for Indiana. And it's just all by the boards now. There's just something about that job that just eats people and good people. Like these aren't bad people. Uh, it eats good people. Like Jerry DiNardo, I think, is a good person and he's a good football guy. That job ate him up. You know, Lee Corso kind of talks about it. Uh, but there really hasn't been anybody since Bill Mallory. And yeah, give credit where credit's due. Allen was able for a couple years to make them competitive, but. Um, it's just been a tough road to hoe for him. So it'll be interesting to see where Indiana goes moving forward. Michigan moving towards another Big Ten championship, obviously with some big roadblocks on the uh, on the way to that. One of those roadblocks are the Ohio State Buckeyes, who took care of Purdue on Saturday, forty-one to seven. Dallin Hayden was able to come in and fill admirably. As Ohio State was short, pretty much all of their skill position players 
outside of uh, Kyle McCord and um, uh, losing my mind here. Oh, Marvin Harrison. <laughs> yeah, the best player in college football. Uh, so outside of those two, which are two pretty good players, uh, they tell you what, this offensive line's really shown me a lot. They've grown quite a bit over these last couple of weeks. And Purdue tried to throw everything at them, but you could see that there's a pretty massive talent gap. And I personally think, and I, this is me all every week, I'm just eating crow. Eating crow, eating crow. Yeah, I've been wrong about so many things. Last year, I was right about so much. I feel like I've been wrong about so many things this year. I have to give credit where credit's due. This Ohio State defense has, for me, performed much better than I thought they would. Uh, they really shut down a pretty decent Purdue offense, and Hudson Card was kind of a mess throughout the day. He was locked down. Uh, funny moment during the game, which I'm sure many of you heard about on social media, is Purdue missed three field goals, and then they had uh, someone from the crowd come out and actually make one, which did not help things I think from the Purdue side of stuff but it just had that the reason why I didn't and I put a couple I pick a couple games a week to put money down on and I'm not an avid gambler or anything but it's just something to do that's fun and interesting and uh, I just have a I've been playing with this I, I joke about this on the podcast I've been playing with the same $40 for the last three years so um, I did uh, I stayed away from this game and one of the reasons was Knowing it was going to rain, knowing the history of Ohio State-Purdue, knowing those weird games in West Lafayette that have happened over the years, and I just, Purdue's weird, and they've got this coach, and I feel like this coach is a pretty good coach for him, and I felt like Walters would have them pretty prepared, but there's just certain games where the talent gap is just too wide. Now, the question's going to be for Ohio State and their injuries, because they're dealing without Mayan Williams, Travion Henderson, um, Ibuka, they're they're really shorthanded right now. So that's fine for Purdue. That's not fine for Penn State. So we're going to talk about that when we get to the previews in just a little bit. The other third team was Penn State absolutely manhandling UMass 63 to nothing. Uh, as I said in previous weeks, we don't review these games like when Northwestern plays Howard. We do in the first couple of weeks, but when we have these little filler games, these little homecoming matchups against these terrible teams, which I just think is garbage. Who's getting up for Penn State UMass? I just don't get it. Um, Penn State outgained UMass 246 to 64 on the ground. The Nittany Lions were seven for nine on third down. That's pretty good when you only get stopped twice on third down for an entire game. They only had nine. The one thing that struck me is they only had nine third down attempts. That's also a good thing, right? You were only got to third down nine times. That's just insane. So Penn State taking care of business. And that, to me, that's the big difference between the three schools right now. It's Aller, McCord, and McCarthy. And it's obvious that McCord and McCarthy are playing at a different level than Aller. And you can't sit here and say that Aller, it's because Aller doesn't have the weapons. He does. He 100% has the weapons. Uh, maybe slightly shorthanded on the receiving core. I mean, Lambert Smith's a really talented receiver for Penn State. I would put their receiving core out of the three at number three of those three between Michigan and Ohio State. But their running backs are extremely comparable. I know Quorum's great. I know Ohio State's got a wonderful uh, uh, tandem. But Singleton and Allen, one and two, are just as good as any tandem in the country. They are extremely skilled players. So it's not like Aller doesn't have weapons to help him out. I just feel like developmentally, he's a little bit behind as far as that's concerned. So we're going to take a little bit of a break. We're going to look at the rest of the Big Ten and that fun Notre Dame-USC game in just a little bit. We are back. Back here on the Midwest Football Cavalcade. Once again, reminder, follow us at Dooley Football on Twitter, X, and also on Facebook at the Midwest Football Cavalcade. And make sure to subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are sold or followed. Um, the game that I want to get to next, um, and actually let me lead off with this because we're going to get to the other Big Ten games. I know some of you are going to be upset, but I don't want people to get lost in the wash because the other Big Ten games were fantastic. 
great games. Rutgers, Michigan State, Illinois, Maryland, really good games. Um, the one that I really want to get to, though, is Notre Dame-USC. Not a Big Ten game. However, next year, I guess technically it is a Big Ten game, right? Because USC will be in the Big Ten. But this was a really interesting game, kind of paralleled along with what's taking place with Caleb Williams and a lot of the stuff that's come out this week with what he's demanding in the draft. Reportedly, Caleb Williams is not just recommending draft position if he gets picked by somebody, but also a stake in the team that he that is going to draft him, which is quite a bit considering uh, he may have to consult with Notre Dame because Notre Dame might actually be a part owner of Caleb Williams. So whoever drafts Caleb Williams may have to consult with the university because the Irish owned him for 60 minutes. And oh boy, we were talking about how I was eating crow and how I was always saying the wrong thing in my word. I was wrong again on this one. What did I say? USC by 17? Jeez. Oh, ye of little faith. Notre Dame pounded USC 48 to 20. Uh, Caleb Williams, 23 of 37, under 200 yards. He throws three interceptions. The Irish get 11 TFLs, six sacks. USC turns the ball over five times. And what's really interesting is because they had so many short fields. If you look at the stats after the game, I was kind of blown away because it felt like a blowout. But, you know, Notre Dame's stats weren't big because they were dealing with a short field the whole time. You're not accumulating a lot of yards when you're starting at the 30. So Notre Dame jumped on them early. It did kind of feel like USC giving it away or USC being kind of in shock from the bright lights as opposed to Notre Dame coming and taking it. You go out on the field, you win the games. Notre Dame went out. They took what was given to them. So you can't, you know, you can't get down on the Irish for that. They took advantage of what was there. I thought Sam Hartman did a fine job, but I still have my questions. Still have my questions about that offensive line. USC's defense is not good. That's been proven throughout the year. They've got a very loose, very loose defense. And... Caleb Williams looked a little defeated and frustrated. I thought he collapsed under the pressure. I thought Notre Dame had a great game plan. And boy, I was wrong about that Notre Dame not having any defense or feeling a little undersized. They might be a little undersized, but they are quick. And you know what? They played really well, not just against USC with a really good offense, but also Ohio State. And if you play well against those two teams, you should get credit where credit's due. Notre Dame had no business winning that Duke game. That was 100% based on the defense's performance in the first half of that game where Duke really wasn't able to do anything. And the Irish defense dealt with a lot of short fields in the second half against Louisville. I know they didn't play well. And we'll get to that in just a second about the Louisville loss because that's the thing that really kills you right now. Because if they win that game, they're still in the national title hunt. Like, Notre Dame's got a valid look at getting into that that final four. And now it's not there. It, it no longer exists. They knew they were going to have a couple marquee games. They had to get a couple marquee wins. They got one of them. I don't even know if you can call Clemson a marquee win if they were able to get it. But it's all there. And then Louisville turns around, and what do they do? They go to Pitt last weekend, and they lose at Pitt. Which we always knew was a possibility because Pitt is a weird-ass place to play. Let's just be honest. It feels like every year there's a game at Pitt that doesn't matter how good Pitt is. They could be like 4-6 and six and they just have one of those weird games because they're playing at Heinz Field all those years with those eh, <laughs> decent, mediocre teams with some try-hard QB and they're just like, finding their way into some like 13 to 10 win against like a top 10 team. It just, it feels like it happens more often than not. And so you just don't know, but that once again makes that loss for Notre Dame look even worse. But I also, on top of this, I've been very, very hard on Freeman. Been very, very hard on Freeman. I feel like he needed this win more than anybody affiliated with Notre Dame. 
He needed a win that he could point to and say, hey, you want to know what? We prepped like this for USC. We got it. We can beat the big teams. And I feel like, I don't know, for the program, it can help him embody himself as that big-time coach. They, they need wins like that. They need games like this. And I personally believe they need to go 10-2. and two. I really do. The Louisville loss bites that much. <laughs> it bites that much that I feel like you need to get to 10-2. and two. And I feel like if they won that game, you would have leeway. Where if they blew something, because you're not going to pressure a, a coach who goes 10-2. and two. 10 and 2 is pretty dang good in this day and age to be able to do, especially with Notre Dame's schedule. I mean, it's a fairly, fairly tough schedule. I know they put a couple cake, cupcakes in there this year to kind of help deal with how rough the schedule was getting. But, I, you know, you find a schedule that's got USC and Ohio State, that's, that's, that's pretty rough stuff. And the ACC and their ACC side of the excuse me, wuh. The ACC side of the schedule is much, much tougher than it's been in recent years. So for those of you who are in the know, Notre Dame has to sign that five-game ACC contract. And before, it was just a bunch of garbage. Now you're getting good teams. Notre Dame's got to play Pitt, not this weekend, but the weekend after. And we all know how tough that's going to be. So that's five straight losses now for the Trojans at Notre Dame. I feel bad about it. I'm just kidding. I don't. Uh, let's go to the other Big Ten games because there were some great, fun games. But let's talk about the one that wasn't fun. Let's get this one out of the way first. Iowa 15, Wisconsin 6. LaShawn Williams had the big TD run early in the second quarter that went 82 yards. I always like it when they reference former Big Ten great players that you remember from when you were younger. Because they had to reference it was the longest run since Cedric Shaw. Remember Cedric Shaw? He was awesome. Cedric Shaw was great. Low-key, great Big Ten runner on a fun Iowa team. Tanner Mordecai wound up getting hurt in this game. I would give you more in-depth stats and blow-by-blow of what took place in this game. I know most of you watched the game. Thought Deacon Hill was (laughs) Deacon Hill. Eric Alls hurt, which is like not a good thing. When Iowa loses their tight end, that's kind of the end of Iowa. But I'm sure it's Iowa. They got to have like, what, six backup, you know, tight ends. There's six Kittles in the in, in a weight, right? Isn't that how Iowa works? There's always someone there. I was slowly meandering to that Big Ten West title. I, I th- This was felt like it was it. Like, this is theirs. And they've got one of the most dominating defenses in the country. And it was on display. And because of that defense, dude, that's right, dude. Because of that defense, they can beat anybody, anywhere, anytime. You know, all they have to do offensively is not turn the ball over, be able to run the ball somewhat. You need to be able to make a play. Your offense has to be able to make a play. And I personally feel that's been the difference with this Iowa team. They've been able to design a play or two plays to really break them through and help them out. That really sounded like some high-level college football talk right there, right? They get two plays for long distances that help them get the yards that score the touchdowns. I, I hope you know what I'm trying to say here. They understand the offense that they have. They know how to work within the offense. And I think Brian Ferentz has been a bit more realistic without being too conservative. He knows he does still have to take those risks. When before, I think he just was like, well... We're just going to run this into the back of the center's butt and hopefully we get pushed forward. Braden Locke is going to be taking over for Wisconsin. I just confirmed that before recording this podcast. It's one of the reasons for the delays because I wasn't sure what was going on with that. But Braden Locke is going to be starting next week against Illinois. I don't know what to make of this whole regime change at Wisconsin. I really don't. Luke has not been able to give this team an identity, especially on offense. It looks discombobulated. It looks uncomfortable. And quite honestly, it's looked like that from jump. Even in the games that they've won, nothing's really looked or felt fluid for them on the offensive side of the ball. And there's talent there. There's talent on the team. 
you can see it when you're watching the games. This is not a team that's bereft of talent. Uh, but Iowa's that team that's going to punch you in the mouth and you have to be willing and able to respond, and it just wasn't there. Too tough, too sad for Wisconsin, but uh, Iowa slowly crawling to that Big Ten West title. I did not have. There was so much I wanted to write, and then I looked at my notes for it, and I said to myself, you know what? This is this is much more simple, simpler than what I've got listed here. I mean, this was a, a rock fight of a game, and... Iowa was able to make the big plays, and Wisconsin wasn't. That's why you listen to the podcast for that amazing summary, right? I mean, that's what it's all about. Let me get to my two favorite games of the week. I should have just led the podcast off with these because I've been lulling you to sleep with all these garbage games. So I, just to let you know, I can't watch every minute of every game that I'm looking at. So some games I do the... Um, extend like the shortened version of the game which is like the 30 minute version of the game that i can watch late at night while ariel thinks that i'm reaching out to some long lost girlfriend when i'm really just watching a big 10 football game that happened three days earlier so i'll watch that late at night and then i'll also uh, and then i have a couple games that i'll watch live luckily for me i picked the two good games which i think most people wouldn't have watched but i knew what michigan was going to do to indiana i knew what was going to happen in ohio state purdue so I actually picked Rutgers-Michigan State as my game to watch. And man, did Michigan State physically beat the piss out of Rutgers for three quarters. They, they completely dominated them. And Caden Hauser looked really comfortable. If you're a Michigan State fan, you have to feel good about your future. Sparty led 24-6 to through three quarters. A freak fumble touchdown for Rutgers. And all of a sudden, the game completely changed. Just completely changed. And... I'll be honest, it feels like a, a final nail on the coffin to what's been a really rough season at Michigan State. And what's really honestly been a really abhorrent, what could we say now, 10 years for Michigan State's athletics? Just a really rough time. I'm not going to get into all of the other stuff that's happened there, but a really, really tough time for Michigan State. And this game kind of felt like it just encapsulated everything. You get a glimmer of hope. And you see the team that you thought you saw early in the year. I saw a very physical, talented team at the start of the year. And I thought to myself, you know what? Maybe Michigan State's going to turn some heads. Maybe there is six-win talent that's on this squad. And Rutgers, who absolutely, positively needed to have this win. They were at home. And they were getting physically beaten by a Michigan State team that had been struggling all year long. This was a defining win for Greg Schiano defining and Greg's been in this business for a long time. And I know there's a lot of guys who don't like Greg. There's a lot of people who don't like Shiano, but you could tell at the end of the game, he doesn't show his emotion a lot on his sleeve where he's rah, rah, um, you know, in front of other coaches, but you could tell when that clock hit zero, he was ecstatic. He knew exactly what had happened. That was a huge win, not just for their season. That was a big ass win for their program. To get that team to 5-2, and two, knowing you've got Indiana next week and you have essentially wrapped up bowl eligibility once you get that sixth win. Because the rest of their schedule is Big East, <laughs> Big Ten, Big East. They were the Big East. It is Big Ten Eastern Division tough. It is rough. And if you watch that fourth quarter of the highlights of that Rutgers game, that's, that's lurking in the back of your head. That's lurking in the back of your head if you're a coach. Because you saw what Kyle Manungai was able to do in that fourth quarter. Now, he finished with 24 for 148 and a touchdown. But in the fourth quarter, and be impressed with me. I did the math on this. I went back and I, and I added the carries. He carried the ball 14 times for 107 yards. 14 for 107. And folks, let me tell you, when he grinded those yards, he was hitting dudes and driving dudes back. He put that team on his back along with that offensive line, and that was a Greg Schiano-esque type win that had his stamp of approval, that had his identity wrapped in it to come from behind and to win that game. Such a huge win for that program. And to keep them viable, to keep them interesting, to keep uh, people interested in Rutgers football in that area and to know that they're going to be competitive I think it says quite a bit. 
it says a lot. Because they still got to play Ohio State. They got to go to Iowa. They got to go Penn State. That's tough. So they got to get that win at Indiana next week. And then they do have a home game against Maryland. But that's tough too. I mean, it's a buzzsaw. So they really, really help themselves. And I think really... Because it's going to be incremental there. I don't really think they have the opportunity to make the leaps like some of the other Big Ten schools do when they get when they have good seasons. For Rutgers, it's more incremental. And this just helps them move where they need to get to. So huge win for Greg Schiano, huge win for Rutgers. I was extremely impressed watching them come back and just watching them stomp over Michigan State in those last two drives. That's the type of physical Rutgers team that I thought we would get at the start of the year. I just wasn't sure it was going to lead to six wins, and it looks like it might actually do so. A team that I think some people thought, you know, I think they can get to six wins, but I'm not going to get my hopes wrapped up into it too much was Illinois. And with the way the Big Ten West is, you never know how things are going to go. So you think that there should be wins that are there to get you to that six-win mark. And it looked like after last week that it was just not going to happen. Illinois had a very disappointing effort against Nebraska. And they came out after Brett Bielema challenged the players. He apologized to the fans. He said it was an awful performance. It was unforgivable. And they go into College Park against an extremely talented Maryland team that just played with Ohio State for three quarters and won on their field 27 to 24. Griffin with the Field goal kick as time expired, but Bielema wanted a response, and he got it. And folks, however you feel about Brett Bielema, that really says a lot, I think, about him as a coach. Coaches who go out, challenge their players, and then those players immediately respond, that tells me a lot about that coach, about how the players feel about that coach, about how they don't want to disappoint that coach. And they did it from jump. And now there were typical Illini mistakes as we went through the game. It was anything far from a perfect game. And this looked like those Maryland games we saw earlier in the year where the Terps got off to slow starts and just felt like they couldn't get themselves together until the game went on. So when the Illini went up by 10 points, I don't think anybody was surprised that Maryland came back to tie the game. But I think the big thing here is maybe Illinois is not as bad as I was saying. I've been wrong about so many other things this year. I guess this might just be another one. The call at the end of the half down 14-7 after the timeout to put your offense back on the field and get a touchdown, that is a ballsy call. That is an absolutely ballsy call. And potentially, it's a season-saving call. I don't think that that's putting too much weight into that. It could potentially be a season-saving call because it gives them that, that third win. And while the schedule doesn't look favorable for Illinois, like there's now at least a hope to a path because the six-win thing was dead. Now it's like it's on life support again. Like we might be able to bring it back to life, but it's there. It's definitely there. And I think that big X factor in all of this is because he's got good receivers. I actually like Bryant. I like Williams. I like the Illini receivers. I like their running game. Obviously, their offensive line took a step back this year, but it's really got to be about turnovers. It's got to be, and it's been this way since the start of the year, but it's got to be about Altmeyer and turnovers. He's got to cut the turnovers out. If he does, I know it's, it's a huge if, but if he does, then it's not that bad of a team. Like, it's a decent team. I do think there's a competitive team somewhere in there, but just got to stop it with the turnovers. Had another interception this week. I know, hey, one interception, not the end of the world. It's not like the three that he's had before. But if they can cut the turnovers down, I think they'll be in a pretty good spot. Man, I tell you what, Maryland at the start of this year had hopes for eight and four or nine and three, and those seem to be dwindling as well. Those seem to be going away. Because I watched Talia play, and I go, a couple throws, I go, oh, wow, this guy's got an NFL body. He's got an NFL arm. He has everything that's needed. I never fe- I'm losing at times the feel that, I, that he's taking control of these games. Or sometimes I feel like the game's being taken away from him. I don't know if that makes any sense. 
but I feel like Loxley and his team are on the doorstep and they just can't find a way to break it down. That Ohio State loss was tough, but it hopefully wasn't devastating. I mean, they were in that game. That should say a lot about where Maryland football's at and where they've grown. But this loss, oh man, this loss is absolutely devastating. So new hope for Illinois, a new major setback for Maryland, and we'll see if they're they're able to recover. What we're going to do is we're going to take a break. We're going to then quickly review what took place in the MAC and the Missouri Valley Football Conference with a look to their games also in the next week in just a moment. All right, we are back at the Midwest Football Cavalcade. Make sure to friend us on Facebook and follow us at Dooley Football on Twitter X. That's D-O-O-L-E-Y football. Oh, my goodness. So what took place in the MAC last week? You know, I people sometimes ask me, they'll be like, do you really think you should be doing MAC and Missouri Valley Football Conference reviews? And I tell them, you know what, when you're at a party, you're at one of those Halloween parties and you see someone's wearing like an Illinois State sweatshirt, don't you want them to know like what's up? Like what's going on? Give them a vibe, an update as to what's happening. You get insider information that other people just don't get. So the Mac, for instance, has had some interesting results in the last week. I feel like there's been more of a settling as to who the real contenders are in the Mac. Some of it's expected. I think it's mainly the teams that are struggling are continuing to struggle. And they were ones that we expected. Although some of the games were a little bit closer than I thought. Eastern Michigan took care of Kent 28-14. to Felt like that was kind of expected. Toledo, though, beat, Toledo beat Ball State 13-6. to And the Rockets, not really as dominant as I thought that they would be watching them a little bit. Uh, they're going to get a pretty good test this week, which we'll talk about in just a second. Central Michigan took care of Akron 17-10. to Akron's been much more competitive this year than what they were last year. And Bowling Green came back to beat Buffalo 24-14. to That was a little bit of a switch. Bowling Green uh, able to get a big win there. And uh, Buffalo, after getting a win in the previous week, getting a setback. Miami of Ohio taking care of Western Michigan 34-21. The Red Hawks, after losing the opener against the Miami Hurricanes, have really, really turned it on. And they're looking like a really good team with a really solid defense, by the way. But I think the big surprise of the week, the huge surprise of the week, have been the overwhelmingly disappointing Northern Illinois Huskies who were supposed to compete for that Mac West title and really did not look up to the task early in the year, really establishing their will, playing a very, very smart game in beating Ohio 23 to 13 and give it up for the NIU defense who shut down what I believe is a, a very viable uh top-level Ohio off, Bobcat offense. And uh, you know, the big difference was Ohio, seven penalties for 75 yards. They turned it over three times. What does Northern do? Only one penalty, no turnovers. Uh, that's uh, Honestly, guys, that's when you're in the MAC and there's so many teams that I feel this year are a little bit closer than maybe they were in previous years, that's going to be the difference. It's going to be the turnover game and it's going to be the penalty game. And... Northern called a great game. They called a smart game. I'm still not totally sold on Rocky Lombardi. Uh, But they were able to beat Ohio and really kind of reestablish themselves because they're going to turn around and they're going to be back at home again this week. So let's talk about what is going to happen in the MAC this week. Western Michigan is at Ohio. The Bobcats are favored by 17. That game will be on at 11 a.m. on the CBS Sports Network. Good chance for the Bobcats to get back on track get back in their winning ways. Bowling Green's hosting Akron. That's a really interesting game to me. That game will be at 1 p.m. I believe Bowling Green should win, but Akron's been playing pretty tough ball recently. Central Michigan should win at Ball State. You guys know how I feel about Ball State. I hate the Cardinals. I hate the ball. I'm going to be honest about it. You tell David Letterman I said it. I don't like the Ball State Cardinals. I don't think they're a good team, and I think the Chips will take care of them pretty easily. Eastern Michigan's at Northern Illinois. To me, this is a swing game because Eastern actually has a pretty talented team, and Northern has the squad to really make a run at it. They've got this game at home. This kind of feels like the pivotal game 
if Northern's going to challenge in the MAC West or if they're just going to lay down. And it's at 2.30, big game in DeKalb. So if you're free, I'd make it out there. Big game there in the MAC. Buffalo's going to be at Kent. Maybe a toss-up. Buffalo should win. But the game of the week, it's one of the top uh, games actually in the country, is going to be Toledo at Miami of Ohio. Toledo 6-1. Their only loss was to Illinois. They lost in the last seconds to Illinois. And they are at 6-1 Miami of Ohio. Their only loss is to Miami of Florida. So two really good teams playing at 3 p.m. on ESPNU. It's going to have a big impact on the MAC East title race. So we will see how that all plays out in the Merck uh, between those two squads, between Daquan Finn and Gabbert. And I think the difference will be Miami's defense because Toledo has kind of struggled a little bit more than I thought they will. So I'm going to call an upset on this one. I think Miami's going to win. Let's take a look at the Missouri Valley Football Conference and what took place last week. The big, big upset. I don't even know if you can call them upsets anymore. North Dakota State's not the team that they used to be. They're just not the team that they were. Number 15, North Dakota beat North Dakota State 49, number seven, North Dakota State 49 to 24. So there's a big a bit of a switch there as far as who runs the state of North Dakota. Huge win for their program. Number 17, South Dakota beat number 20, Youngstown State 34 to 31 on a last second field goal. South Dakota's got a really good team. Youngstown has a great team. They just pummeled SIU two weeks ago. And they turn around, and South Dakota beats them the last second. That was a couple weeks after they had lost in the final seconds to Northern Iowa. So a really, really tough, tough time for uh, Youngstown State. Or wait, they won that game. What am I talking about? I'm losing my mind. Uh, number 28, Illinois State beat Indiana State 44-7. to The Birds cracked the top 25. Let's turn back the clock. The birds are coming back. Number 13, SIU took care of Murray State, 27-6. Ugly game. Not pretty. They're able to run the ball. Murray State's not that good of a team. Southern looked a little sloppy, but that's just kind of been Southern the last couple of weeks. Number one, South Dakota State pummeled. Number 26, Northern Iowa, 41-6. And Missouri State took care of Western, 48-7. So what does the upcoming week look like in the Missouri Valley Football Conference? Number 16, South Dakota will be at Indiana State. South Dakota should have no problem with that. Number 25, Illinois State is going to be at number 29, Youngstown State. That should be a really good game. I think Youngstown's got a really good team. They've just found their way on the bad end of a couple games. Um, I have Youngstown slightly favored in that one. Murray's going to be at Missouri State. The big game in the conference, at least I think the big game in the conference, is number one, South Dakota State, is at number 12, SIU. It's SIU's homecoming, so SIU's going to be jacked for that one. SIU feels like they're kind of playing with house money since they won the Northern Illinois game. They know, though, if they win this game, they're probably going to the postseason, so they're going to put a lot of effort into it. But South Dakota State's a juggernaut. I believe the figure was that they returned 19 starters from their team last year. This is a FBS mid-level team that just is happening to play in the FCS. So hopefully Southern can uh, pull a miracle there. Western's at North Dakota State, number 15, North Dakota State. Just crazy to see how low that they're ranked now. And then number nine, North Dakota, is at number 30, Northern Iowa. So that will be a decent game as well. Always fun for those games at Northern Iowa. So that is what is taking place in the MAC and the Missouri Valley Football Conference. We're going to do our Big Ten preview here just after a short break. Welcome back to the Cavalcade. You made it this far. How exciting is that? That's pretty exciting. It's been a wonderful time hanging out with you. You can stop holding my hand, by the way. You've been holding my hand this whole episode. That's kind of awkward. I didn't ask for that. I just said to hold my hand for a little bit, not the whole time. You know. Hopefully the weather out by you is nice. Right now it's raining as I'm recording this. Uh little bit of a drizzle. I haven't been able to mow my lawn in a while. I got to give it I got to give it the shortcut soon. You know what I mean? We're almost entering shortcut territory. I don't know when I'm going to do the shortcut, but I have to uh, I've got to send that text out to my friends. When are you doing your shortcut? Always exciting talk with uh 
other dudes cutting their lawns. Anyway, let's go to our Big Ten preview for Week 8. I am so excited for the football. I've got so much stuff going on to just sit back, kick back, and watch some games. At 11 a.m., number 7 Penn State, number 3 Ohio State. The Bucks are favored by 4.5. Ryan Day, as of right now, is still hopeful that all three guys are going to play. Agbuka, uh, uh, Henderson, and Williams. He says that he believes that they will play. He essentially kind of toyed it around and said it was going to be like a game-time decision. So we'll see what takes place. This is going to be tough. I think Ohio State's going to win the game because they're at home. And I think the difference is the quarterback. I said it in the previous segment. I think the difference is really just Aller against McCord. You saw, I think we all were looking at that Notre Dame game. This is also another huge help is that McCord, excuse me, Aller, excuse me, McCord, I should say, got to play Notre Dame before this game to be in that type of like big time environment. Because I think we were all kind of wondering what type of dude we thought we were going to see or if he was going to buckle under the pressure. I didn't see a guy who was too flustered by the pressure in that game. So I have confidence. But Penn State can bring it, man. They can bring it. So I'm so excited for this game. Uh, Usually I've got some other items I can throw in here. But I'm just excited to watch it play out. I've been a big champion of Penn State all year. I've been a big champion of their defense. Their versatility on offense. And I think it's going to take Franklin being willing to make some bold calls in the game. Bold calls. Michigan was willing to do it to to break the string against Ohio State. Penn State's got to do it for this. So I still think Ohio State's going to pull it off. I think it's going to be a low-scoring game. I've got like 17-16. That's what I'm looking at. I think Penn State will hang in. I think they will, but I think the difference is Ohio State going to be able to get the ball in the end zone. I think Penn State's going to be settling for some field goals. Moving along, Rutgers at Indiana, 11 a.m. on the Big Ten Network. The Scarlet Knights are favored by five. The Knights trying to get bowl eligible. It's a huge game for them. Indiana is still trying to figure out their quarterback situation. There's an old adage that says, if you think you have two quarterbacks, you probably have none. It's kind of where Indiana is right now. But what Rutgers is going to have to do is really establish that ground game early, control the clock, get in the lead early, and force Indiana to throw the ball. Because the longer that game goes that Indiana's in it, because this is a game that Rutgers is better than Indiana, but they're not overwhelmingly that much better than Indiana. And there's always a game during the year. It's very tough to go winless through a full Big Ten slate, and or to go through, a, I should say, a really long, rough stretch through the Big Ten. And I think Indiana, this could be the game that, that they show up and play for and find a way to get a win. So you have to take that, you have to put that seed of doubt into their brains early. So it's going to be important for Rutgers to jump out early. But I've got Rutgers winning this game and winning it pretty handily. I think Indiana offensively is going to struggle. I've got, uh, you know, actually, no. I've got it a little bit closer. I've got Rutgers 24, Indiana 17. Minnesota is at Iowa. The Hawks are favored by three and a half. The Hawks are six and one. This game will be on at 2.30 on NBC. Oh, by the way, no Peacock games. Oh, my God. What are we going to do without our Peacock? What are we going to do? So no Peacock uh, this week. This game's on NBC. When I think of NBC and football, I think of Minnesota and Iowa. That's something that, uh, that I think of. I also think of the Floyd of Rosedale. I love the name for that trophy. Who doesn't love the Floyd of Rosedale? Love that little pig. Minnesota is at Iowa. The Hawks are 6-1. and one. I believe they're going to be 7-1. and one. Now, this is a game that Minnesota can win. Minnesota plays this brand of ball. And Minnesota's got a pretty decent defense. So being able to shut down Iowa's offense, who's kind of lost some of their capability with Eric all being out, it's going to be tough. But Kelly McManus in Minnesota against the Iowa defense, my God, I think it's going to be ugly. As a matter of fact, I'm going to put this out here. I think Iowa's going to win 13-3. to I think Minnesota's going to get three points. There it is, P.J. Fleck. 
bullet board material. That's right. Three points. That's what I'm giving you, bud. Also, don't gamble on sports because you shouldn't be looking at over-unders in Iowa football games. Don't look at it. Don't do it. You're going to want to do it right now. You're going to go blind. Don't do it. Don't look. Wisconsin at Illinois, which is now suddenly a really interesting game. A couple weeks ago, if I, when I saw this game, I thought to myself, oh, there's no way. Wisconsin's going to roll all over them. The uh, Bucky's favored by two and a half. At the Illini, this game will be at 2.30 on FS1. And honestly, I don't know. It's really up to Illinois' defense and how uncomfortable they can make Locke during this game. The longer he's uncomfortable, the longer this game goes with him being uncomfortable, the better it's going to be for Illinois, the better it's going to be for Altmeyer. And just really the key, once again, as I said before, it's going to be turnovers. Can't turn the ball over. Got to be able to control the ground game. And if you're Wisconsin, you should depend a little bit more on your ground game. I know Illinois has got some weapons on their defensive line, but you should be able to line up and beat them up across the ball. Champaign's always a really windy stadium, so sometimes it's not always the best stadium to throw the ball in either. So, I don't know. I hate doing this. I never do this. I'm picking an upset. I have a feeling, I just haven't been right all year. I've been right on my bets. So by the way, I do put some money on some games. As I said before, I'm probably at around 58 to 60% this year. So I'm good with that. But when I say things out loud, they just don't happen. (laughs) I don't know what it is. It doesn't matter. I live in Illinois. I can't put money on this game anyway. But I I think that Illinois is going to win this game 20 to 17. Just got a feeling. Just got a hunch. Just got a weird, weird feel. Northwestern is at Nebraska. Oh, yes. It's that time again where we all have to watch Northwestern football. We do. I'm sorry. I got to take you with. It's October. It's the month of horrors. And that includes Northwestern football. They are at Nebraska, a revitalized Nebraska team coming off a big win in Champaign. The Huskers are 11.5 point favorites. That game will be on at 2.30 on the Big Ten Network. And I feel pretty, pretty good about old Husker getting a win. They obviously love Heinrich Herberg. And I believe in him too. Although the offense is a little simple and I think the Northwestern's going to stay with them a little bit. I think they'll stay with them for a little bit. I think the defense, the, the key is going to be how Nebraska's defense plays against Northwestern's offense. Nebraska's defense looked really revitalized against Illinois. They really did. So... Um, and I'm not sure I feel confident in Sullivan or anything that Northwestern's trying to do. So I'm going to go out on a limb and say Nebraska's going to roll them. It might stay close for a little bit, but I've got Nebraska winning 30-7. to Michigan is at Michigan State. This is the 6.30 p.m. NBC slot. So the Wolverines are favored by 24 in East Lansing. They should win this game and win it easily. Now, this game is a rivalry game that has a history of weird things taking place. And a lot of times, the heavily favored team winds up actually losing this game. I just think the talent gap is too wide for something like that to happen. And J.J. McCarthy's the type of quarterback who just doesn't really turn the ball over. So I don't think that that is a thing. I don't think that's something that you're going to see. I think Michigan will take care of business. And since it's a rival, I think they're going to find a way to stomp on them. I think Michigan's going to win this game 55-7. to That's how I feel. Hey, listen, you can't get on me for how I feel. You can't. It's my emotions. It's my feelings. And if one thing our current society has told us is that my feelings are valid. That's right. My feelings are valid. And you need to validate them and respect them and love them and own them. Take them with you. I hope you enjoyed spending your week seven review week eight preview with me going through our college football games and hopefully you enjoy watching football in the upcoming weekend i love football you love football i'm even watching the baseball playoffs i enjoy everything i love all sports but hopefully we get another wonderful week of good big 10 games i'll be excited to talk about them next week also with a look towards the week after 
Ooh, as we approach Halloween. You guys have a great rest of the week. Have a good weekend, and I'll talk to you later on The Cavalcade. Remember, once again, to follow us on Facebook. Follow us at Dooley Football on Twitter X, and subscribe to the podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. You guys have a good one. I'll talk to you later.